Do you believe that PA systems can get demon-possessed? We think we get all these problems worked out through the week, and for some reason, when we get in here, they, it starts cutting up. So bear with me if I need to. I'll, I'll change mics three or four times. <laughs> well, God is good. Amen. Hey, I want to remind you guys that this Tuesday night we're starting up a new session of women's ministry at 7 o'clock. So ladies, it's fellowship and study and just have a good time. So be sure that you, we took a little break, so be sure that you remember that. Right, ladies? Amen. And then our Constitution and Bylaws requires me to make this next announcement that two weeks from today, that will be March the... Two weeks from today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Donna forgot how to count. Okay. The 15th, we'll have our annual business meeting at 5 o'clock. It's a wonderful time. Not so much, but we have to get through it. So uh, we'll be presenting to you the financial reports from the previous year and doing the deacon election. So mark that down. If you've been a member for uh, a month, you can participate in that. If you haven't, you can come and spectate. Amen. Praise the Lord. God loves you. <laughs> well, I thought last week I would finish up the series on resolutions that heal, but then I got to praying about it. I think the Lord wants me to preach two more messages on it. <laughs> no, I, I knew some time ago when I wrapped it up that it wasn't the end. And today I, I want to talk to you about a question I think we all have to ask each other. Um, in fact... If you know the person around you, I'd like you to get in this situation, get in this exercise. If you don't know them, it'd be weird. But if you know them, just look at them and say, what am I to you? What am I to you? Again, if you don't know them, that's kind of weird. I thought about doing this. I thought about the time I went to a Catholic funeral. I didn't know anything about what Catholics do at funerals. I was just trying not to make an idiot of myself. I was sitting there in the pew, and the priest stood up and said, Give your neighbor the sign of peace. And I didn't know what the sign of peace was. I'm sitting there between an elderly gentleman and and a, a lady I'd never met. And the couple in front of me looked at each other and kissed. That's a sign of peace. I looked at both of them and said, I don't think I'm doing it, you know. But then the lady turned toward me and reached her hand out to shake my hand. I thought, oh, wow, don't have to kiss anybody here. Anyway, if you know the person, just look over and say, what am I to you? You see, in every relationship there is a system, and that system is serving a purpose in your life. And that system can be... So many can take so many different forms. You think about the relationship that you and I have. For some reason, you get up every Sunday morning or almost every Sunday morning or some Sunday mornings, <laughs> and you come and sit and you let me teach you. There's something about that system that we have deemed to be important to your spiritual development that you come to church and we have a relationship where I study and pray and then I teach you. That is a system. And all the relationships around you are a system in some form or another. And they're designed by God to improve our lives. So again, look at the person over next to you and realize, you don't have to say anything, 
but the relationship I have with you was designed to improve my walk with Jesus. Hello? The relationship I have with you is designed by God to improve my walk with Jesus. And then the next question is, how's that going? Is that relationship improving your walk with Jesus? We don't succeed or fail by ourselves. We get some help. If we're failing, people are helping us fail. If we're succeeding, they're helping us succeed because those systems are working. For me, the definition of success in life is found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You've been hearing it every Sunday for eight weeks now. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That is the definition of a successful life. And it is created by the Holy Spirit. That's where you say amen. It's created by the Holy Spirit. And one of the fundamental purposes of relationships is that they would help cultivate me to be a person of spiritual fruit where there would be more love, joy, peace, etc. in my life because I'm in a relationship with you. Now, here's something I keep hearing as this series has gone on, and we are getting ready to wrap it up, so just hang with me. Not today, not next week, but the week after, you know. <clears throat> People keep saying to me, because I keep talking about the need for critical conversations. We need for people who are in Jesus to come to us and talk to us about what is going wrong in our lives. Because I can get tunnel vision. I can get, become blind to what's going wrong in my own life. And God has put brothers and sisters in my world to challenge me to a more fruitful walk with Jesus. Now, what is going on? We say, well, how do I know whether... And I'm telling you, I'm going to start with this. I'm going to give you some more. But there are three characteristics. This is not in your notes. You have to write them down. There are three characteristics that every person who wants to speak into our lives must have. If you want to be the iron that sharpens this iron, if you want to be the brother that keeps this brother, if you want to be a person who helps me be more fruitful, there's three things have to be in your life. First of all, you've got to love Jesus. Again, you missed a chance to say amen. All but one of you. You've got to love Jesus. You've got to love the biblical truth. Amen. You've got to love the biblical truth, and you've got to love me. If I'm going to let you speak into my life, if I'm going to let you constructively criticize me, I have to be comfortable that you love God, that you love his word, and you love me. Right? And if somebody doesn't meet all three of those criteria, do not let them do a constructive criticism of your life because it won't be constructive. So you stop and you say, if you're going to speak to me, I want to know that you love God. I want to know that you love the Word of God. Your opinions are not just coming out of your head or some book you read or something you heard on Oprah. I want to know that your, your words are based in the eternal Word of God, and I want to know you love me. You want what's best for me. Now, I'll give you some others. But remember, I've been using as a basis for this series Luke chapter 13, where, you know, it was the unfiggy figgy tree. 
the unfiggy figgy tree. They were going to cut it down, but instead the one who worked the vineyard said, Give me another chance. I will break up the ground around it and fertilize it, and we'll see if it won't be fruitful. I think those critical conversations are how God breaks up the hardened ground around us and allows the fertilizer of truth to get into our lives. You guys okay? Donna, yes, what's the rest of you? My wife and I have kind of got in the habit of watching a certain genre of TV shows lately. Would you like to hear about it? One of them, I think, is called Restaurant Impossible. Anybody watch it? What it is, there's, a, there's failing restaurants, and this guy who looks like he, I mean, he's just built like the rest of the car. I mean, he's got big old bulging biceps. I'm not gay, but he's got this... You know, this eight-pack. I mean, he's just really, really a stout look. I don't I don't even think he goes to restaurants. But anyway, he's just this perfect specimen of, of fitness. And he goes in there in failing restaurants, and, and he helps them get back on their feet. And he transforms that restaurant. And every time, the very first step in transforming that failing restaurant is they have this very painful conversation about what's going wrong. And there's this other one I hate to admit that I watch it. It's called Bar Rescue. I am not for rescuing bars. It's just this the system they use to, to fix a failing business fascinates me. And, and this guy comes in. And he's from up north where they're not near as tactful as us southern people. And the very first thing he does is throw a screaming fit. He goes in there, lines them up, and I mean they get in each other's face and they have a critical conversation. I'm not voting for those kinds of emotional outbursts, but I will tell you that your journey to a more fruitful life is probably going to involve, right at the outset, a very confrontational discussion with someone who loves God, knows the Word, and loves you. And if you can't handle those conversations, you will sacrifice the potential of your spiritual life. See if you can follow this. You've got to get rid of the butt. Bad place to pause, isn't it? When people are describing some of us, they say, he's a great guy, but but he's got a temper problem. He's got an attitude problem. He's got a patience problem. He's got this problem. We've got to get rid of the but. Spell with one T. Right? And you know what happens is that we usually, when we need to listen to someone who loves God, who knows the Word, and who loves us, is that we hide in their imperfections. We hide in their imperfections. Let me tell you how this goes. I'll use Pastor Kevin as an example. I would use Sue, but I beat her up pretty bad last week. 
there she is back there, yeah. She was being mean to my grandkids last week, if you remember that story. Let's say, and this could happen because I... But Kevin is, was one of my dearest friends in all of life. You know, he's, he's, he's somebody that could have this conversation with me. But let's say that, Ke- and I'm being serious now. Let's say that Kevin comes to me and sits down and he says, Pastor Jeff, I've been noticing lately that I think I'm worried about something I see in your conversation. I'm worried about something I see in your attitude. I'm a little worried that. You're letting some stuff stay in your spirit that you should probably pray out. Now, I've, been, I've received that. And if I'm not careful, one of the first things I will do is say, Oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you what you did. I remember that time you did X, Y, Z. So what I'm doing is I am hiding in his imperfection instead of saying, You know what? Let me pray about what you're saying. Because I know you wouldn't say anything just to hurt me or just to discourage me. If you're bringing it to my attention, you must be burdened about this. And it probably is something I need to wrestle with. But this is what happens so often is when someone who loves us comes to us and says, we need to talk about something I see in your life. We attack their imperfections. Oh, yeah? Well, look at you. How dare you judge me? Who are you to judge me? And so we completely blunt that conversation that we nearly need to have and we keep our butt. Okay. Let's talk about this. Now, let's get back to are you, who am I to you? Ask that question. Some of you need to sit down with people close to you and and simply ask, who am I to you? And I wrote down about six things. I won't preach all six of them today, but I wrote down about six things. I need to know if I am that to you. You know, sometimes I sit down to talk to someone and and, uh, share with them uh, something on my heart, and I find out that they don't receive it very well. So I I need answers to questions. The first question is, am I my brother? Or my sister's keeper. From Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, you remember the story, the context. Context is not that relevant, but the question is everything to us. Am I my brother's keeper? It's the first relational question of Scripture. Am I my brother's keeper? And Paul answers that in Romans chapter 8, verse, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything, owe no one anything except to Love one another, for he who loves his loves another has fulfilled the law. There's this debt that I have to love you. It's an outstanding debt. I have to keep making payments on that debt. And in order for me to be obedient to Christ, I have to keep paying on that debt. I have to keep acting in that love. So I have a debt to you. The Bible says I am my brother's keeper. Somebody says, is it any of your business? Yes. If you're my brother, if you're my sister, it is my business. When, when, when we come along each other and kind of yank on each other's coattail and say, hey, uh, what's going on here? I, I see something that seems troubling, that seems out of step with Scripture. And we go, who are you? Well, I'm your brother. I'm your sister in Christ. Yes, I, ha- I owe you something. 
The Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility hold others above ourselves. There's a debt that we have to each other. It is a way to say, you matter to me. You're my brother. You're my sister. I'm supposed to love you. I'm supposed to watch out for you. I can't just let you go off down some path and not yell, hey, look out. Hello? Now, if you're going to be your brother's keeper, you will. I'm going to give you a few keys to this right now. You know me, I love lists. I love how-tos. If you're going to be your brother or sister's keeper, first of all, you have to identify your own conflicts of interest. Your own conflicts of interest. What did I say? Your own conflicts of interest. If I love you, let me back that up. If I love God, I love the Word, and I love you, I'm going to have to, first of all, identify my own conflicts of interest. There are things going on in your life that affect me, and if I'm going to be the iron that sharpens the iron, if I'm going to be the brother that I need to be, I have to, first of all, realize that I may have a conflict of interest in your life, and I've got to identify that and overcome it. I'm not making any sense, am I? (laughs) I told you... uh, a few weeks ago about an experience. Some of you have heard me tell it for years that in 1984, I know some of you hadn't even been born yet. 1984, my wife and I believe that God was calling us out of the holy land of Arkansas and uh, sending us to a distant city to begin college and all that would follow and remember the story when I finally got up the courage to tell my mom she came apart I I remember I would bump into her in church and she would go to the far aisle and she would be weeping and she would be staying I'd have to chase mom through the church mom what are you doing I just can't believe she could not believe that I would take my family and her grandbabies and move away. And she was so torn up about it that she couldn't even speak to me. Finally, I barge into her house one night and I, I corner her. And I said, Mama, you're going to talk to me. She begins crying. I can't believe you do this. I can't believe I did it. And then I, I said, Mom, Your agenda for my life and God's agenda for my life are colliding right now. And you have to set your conflict of interest aside and release me to God's plan for my life. If you're going to speak into someone's life, you have to identify your conflicts of interest. I can tell you right now, Viv and I have got three grown kids, more grandkids than I can count off the top of my head. Somebody said the other day, how many grandkids you got? I said, call me tomorrow and I'll tell you. I have to count them up. I can tell you, if, if any one of the three of them came to me and said, you know, Dad, I really feel like I'm supposed to leave and go to a distant city, and I'd say, are you taking the kids with you? Because if you are, it's not God's will. I can tell you that right now because I have a a conflict of interest. 
And in everybody, if you're in any way significantly close to me, I have a conflict of interest. What you do affects me, and that's going to affect the advice I give you. So the first thing I have to do is identify it and set it aside. Hello? I have to identify it and set it aside. Second thing is very similar to that. We have to set aside the agenda. We have to set aside the agenda. What did I say? Okay, I lost my train of thought for a moment. You know, one of the great tragedies of the American church culture. No, Pastor, what is it? Okay. The primary human relationship, unless God has called you to a single life, which that's certainly very valid. But one of the primary places for spiritual thriving is the marriage. The marriage can and should be a place where critical conversations take place and people are improved because they're so close to each other. But it is almost never the case. Because spouses, when we talk to spouses, we have an agenda. And it's usually a self-serving agenda. My wife would say to me, how do you think I'm doing following the will of God? And I go, I don't know. I've been praying about it. And I'm pretty sure the Lord wants you to get more back rubs. Just, just, just feel it in my spirit. You know, <laughs> foot rubs. We won't get into the, hey, hey, hey. You know, that, you know. You know. <laughs> I, have a, I have a conflict of interest that can make me disqualified. So if I'm going to be a person that can really sharpen the iron in your life, I have to identify my agenda and then set it aside. This is not about me. This is about you and Jesus. And it is about me helping you find a higher place in Christ. And the reason I think that you have so few relationships in this way is because when someone comes and sits down and says, I, I just feel like I should share something with you, we start sorting through. What's the agenda here? You say, God is telling me this for you. I go, well, you know, what, what's your angle? What's your angle? I got a call from, the phone rang the other day, and this guy he had this weird accent. He said, I am from the Social Security Department, and there is some suspicious activity on your Social Security. I said, really? He said, yeah. And uh, he said, can we talk about it? And I said, well, we can if, if I could. Can I ask you a few questions first? He said, certainly. I said, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? He said, yes, sir, I am. I said, well, do you mind if we have a word of prayer before we have this conversation? 
No, sir, go right ahead. So I said, okay. And then I prayed. Lord, I pray for this man on the other end of the line. I pray that the harm that he's trying to bring upon people will come down upon his head tenfold. I pray that misery and unhealthiness will invade his life. And I pray, Lord, until he understands who he is trying to mock, that you will bring destruction upon him. By that time, the phone was dead. Trying to tell that story. It's a true story, by the way. I expect him to call back any day and say, Will you please remove these curses from me? You know. Um, he called me with an agenda. And if we're not real careful, we will relate to each other with an agenda. Especially those closest to us. We will have an agenda for them that is really not something based in what's best for them. You're going to need to crucify your agenda before you're going to be what God wants you to be in their life. You're going to have to take that, nail it to the cross, and say, now, now, let's, let's focus on what Jesus wants to do in your life. Thirdly, see yourself as accountable for your contribution to the other person. See yourself as accountable for your contribution to the other person. The sum total of my impact on your life, I will never know for sure, but I'm pretty sure God will show it to me someday. He will show me what I did in your life. He will show me what I did in the lives of my spouse and my kids and my grandkids and my friends. He will show me what difference I made. You know, again, if you look around you, you see people that you know pretty well probably. And they are different because they've been in a relationship with you. You have shaped them and molded them and altered the trajectory of their life. And now the question is, is that good or bad? They are either more like Jesus because they knew you or they're less like Jesus because they knew you. How is that working? And I think that we have to walk around. This will help you take care of the other two if you just get this one down. Understand that we will be held accountable to God for how we have impacted the people around us. On Judgment Day, I will see what I have been to you. On Judgment Day, you will see what you have been to me. And at that moment, there will either be great celebration, say, wow, I didn't realize that that I was able to help you do that. Praise God. Or I'll go, oh, my Lord, I did that to you. I'm so sorry. We will be held accountable for what we did in each other's lives. The person next to you is different because of you. This is either a good thing or a bad thing. Hopefully it's a good thing. Let's do one more. Am I the iron that sharpens iron? Proverbs 27 and 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another.
consider the imagery of that. You ever see someone sharpen a knife? Iron sharpening iron. There's friction. Things are getting knocked off. The edge is forming. Friction and resistance create a sharp edge. Wow. When's the last time you prayed? Lord, would you please empower the people in my life so there'll be more friction and resistance between us? I need some people in my life that are going to put an edge on me. I need some people that are going to sharpen me up. Let's take a few notes. How do we gain that spiritual edge? First of all, we need contact with another of the same composition. As iron sharpens iron, so one of us can sharpen the other. You won't be sharp, you won't sharpen a knife by wood. You won't sharpen a knife with a piece of cloth. You won't sharpen a knife with a piece of flesh. You sharpen a knife when iron meets iron. So when something of similar, not similar, something of identical composition comes against it, that's when it gets sharp. Iron is needed to sharpen iron. And if in my life I've got people who love God, love the Word of God, and love me, and I'm walking around with those kind of people, they're going to sharpen me. That's why Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. In other words, you're not going to sharpen iron with people that are not of the same composition as you. That's why the Bible says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship has lie with darkness? It's just not going to happen. Where I'm going to get sharp is when I'm hanging around with people who have the same spiritual composition that I have. They love God. They love the Word. They love me. I love God. I love the Word. I love them. Amen? So we need the same composition. Secondly, we need resistance based in love. Resistance based in love. Most resistance in relationships results in conflict and division. And because of that, we see resistance as a bad thing. But look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4.14. Then you'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead, so there's a contrast. Instead of being tossed to and fro and blown around here and there with every kind of teaching, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, all, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. There's so much instability in our lives. Because we won't speak the truth in love to one another. If we speak the truth, a lot of times it's not in love. It's not in a way that would inspire someone to say, oh, you're right, I need to pray about that. It's in a way that hurts and wounds. And I don't know what it's like in your world. But in my world, there's constant tension to say, can I tell you the truth in 
not have you bail out of this relationship. Can I tell you what the Bible says about that without you taking your ball and bat and going and playing somewhere else? Speaking the truth in love. In love. It's still got to be true. It's still got to be in love. But we need to speak the truth in love. This is not resistance for the sake of resistance. You ever been around people who just seem like they like resistance and they're kind of contrary and abrasive? And that, 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 That's not this. This is resistance for the sake of love. I need to talk to you. There's something I'm seeing that's troubling me, that's worrying me, that's harmful to you. Do you remember that battle you got into when your kids became teenagers? Do you remember that, Julia? Okay. <laughs> Do you remember that battle it was to raise teenagers? Yeah, <laughs> still. Anybody else there going to get a witness? Revival's breaking out. And, and sometimes it was intense. I mean, I remember Thomas fighting with my, we had three teenagers at one time. I remember Thomas fighting with them and, and uh, I don't know if they knew it or not, but I would go around at night and pour melted candle wax on the windows so I'd know if they opened the windows at night. Anybody get that desperate? And he would try your best to say, I'm just doing this because I love you. There's a lot of. There's a lot of stuff out there that's very hurtful. There's a lot of stuff out there that, that will really mess your life up. I'm, I'm choosing. I'm not going to be your friend. I'm going to constantly fight with you because you're just that important to me. I will not give up. I will fight with you for you. Speak the truth in love. Not to hurt there is a need for sustained pressure. You don't take a knife and swipe it with a, a sharpener and say, okay, it's good. Keep on, keep on. Till the friction creates an edge. I want to tell you something. And uh, we'll just see how this flows. Uh, you need people who will put sustained pressure on you. And I'm not talking about in a miserable, conflicting kind of way, but people who will just constantly be nudging you to go in the right direction. We need sustained pressure to stay sharp. We need people that are pushing us, challenging us, saying, I believe in you so much, I'm going to keep putting pressure on you because I know what God can do in your life. Um, you know what I'm wondering about? Put your notes down for a moment. We're, we're, we're gonna, we filled out all the blanks we're going to. I just want to talk to you for a moment. <coughs> you know what I'm wondering about? 
waiting for you to ask. Okay. <laughs> you fell asleep on me, didn't you? How is it that God can do miracles all around us and miss us? How is it that I can look all around me? And I guess one, one thing that's really got me on this, this, li- this line, line of thinking is as, as we're trying to work on the Easter program, get it ready to, to illustrate the, the resurrection power of Jesus. And don't take this wrong, but I've kind of a little bit emerged myself in the drug culture. And I'm talking to people who have spent decades in drug addiction. And they are coming back to life through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. People, I I told a young man, not so young man, man, just a few days ago, I said, I'll be honest with you, I hate to admit this, but I knew you for those years of drug addiction and sorry to tell you I had written you off as dead I never thought you would ever come out of it after 25 years in and out of prison and all the junk you were involved in I just took it there's a good guy who went bad and that's all there is and then God raised him from the dead How can he do that and not move into your life? You know what what I've been thinking a lot about lately? We're just talking now. (laughs) One of the heaviest, most crippling things I see in the body of Christ in America today, the part that I can see and the part that I deal with. I'm not talking about relevant church. I'm talking about the church. is what I call crippling sadness. Crippling sadness. People who love Jesus, who love the Word of God, love the church, are just crippled by depression and sadness. And I just want to say, if he can raise that drug addict back to life, why can't he help you? Why? I know we got hurt. I know we got stabbed in the back. I know we were betrayed. I know there are people who are hell-bent on our destruction. I get that. I've been in the ministry for a long time. I know that. I know what it's like to have people plot and scheme and and, and delight in everything bad that happens to you, everything hurtful. I, I, I know that. But the Bible says in all those things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And all those who rise up against me will fall. This is the heritage of the servants of God.
how can he be working miracles all around you and me and it not splash out on us? I choose to believe that the power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you from your chronic sadness and your chronic woundedness and your despair. I choose to believe that. And this doesn't sound real theological. But sometimes we need someone who loves us to walk up behind us and give us a swift kick in the seat of the pants and say, hey, who are you? You're an heir and a joint heir with Christ. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in your mortal body. What's going on with you? You're not defeated. Why are you acting that way? Come on, get up. Let's get going. There's nothing quite like the joy of the enemy thinking he's got you. Next thing you know, he looks around and you're up on your feet, dusted yourself off, saying, let's go. I just loved it a few weeks ago. It was the Super Bowl. San Francisco 49ers had just intercepted a pass. It was late in the fourth quarter. And they went to the end zone and they posed for a picture. Whole team gathered in the end zone to pose for the Super Bowl portrait. And I was thinking, I had already gone. I stood up most of the game. I had gone. I sat down on the couch. I leaned against the arm. I started comforting myself with words like, at least we made it. We have the Lamar Hunt trophy. We made it. Maybe next year we'll be back. And I was comforting myself while they were taking their team picture in the end zone. And then something happened. 44-yard pass miraculously was completed. It just shows that the people in the Midwest can outpray the people in the West Coast. We started praying and things started happening. I don't know that that's true. I don't know that God gets involved in sports, but it sure looked like it, didn't it? Satan and his minions have posed in the end zone for the victory picture. You're laying on the field going, wow, I sure thought this would end different. You've had it. You're run over, beat up, and whipped, and defeated. But God yells from the sideline, it's time. Get up. It's time. It's time to make them look like fools for taking a team picture before the game was over. It's time. It's time. Friends, I'm not going to be like the TV preacher that says, if you'll drop a few extra dollars in the offering plate, I'll intercede for you and all of your problems will go away. That's not how this works. The Bible tells us 
that the enemy is going to be working against us to the last day on earth. But my victory is not in him stopping attacking. My victory is in the power of God to overcome his attacks. Right? All right, I, I got to quit, I guess. Look. <laughs> Look. I don't know what I can do. I, I, don't, I don't know. As a pastor, I guess maybe I see things that you don't see. Maybe you do see it very well. But I see people who are locked in a prison house of discouragement. Is that you? God can shake that prison door till it opens up. I remember one time going, I'm just visiting now, going through one of the most difficult seasons of my life where I was, man, I couldn't sleep. It was just a, a terrible trial. And I remember at that time I was driving a 1995 Chevy S10 <laughs> with 200,000 miles on it. Ask anybody that's ever seen me drive down my country road. I could fly in that sucker. Just a red streak going by. It was like part of my body. <laughs> you know. I would see, people would laugh at me. I'd go I'd go into those curves and it was just like a, and I, I can I can remember where I was on the road. I just passed Nebo on Missouri City Road. And all of a sudden, this tremendous joy just blew up in my body. Just excitement, like I had just got a great gift or something. I thought, what is this? It's like the Holy Spirit says, this is just remind you what's going to feel like when this trial is over. Just, this just remind you that I got you. I got you. All right. Stand with me, please. There's got to be somebody. There's got to be some people in your life, friend, that that come along and in love rebuke you. There's got to be people who speak to you and say, "Stop it." talking that way. Stop believing that. Stop letting that stay in your spirit. Stop it. Come on. You belong to Jesus. Stop it. And you're going to think, well, you're being cold. and all. No, they're being a brother. They're being a sister. They're being exactly what you need. If you're not careful, you'll shut them out and you'll forfeit the victory that God was sending your way. Don't let everybody speak into your life, but let somebody speak into your life. Let someone challenge you to walk this thing out in resurrection power. Father, I praise you and I thank you for the joy that 
surpasses all understanding. Lord, I thank you for things that feel like peace when life is full of stress. Lord, I thank you that there is a way in you that defies our situation. I ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to convince my sister who is locked up in the thought patterns of defeat and depression and sadness and has lost sight of the resurrection power that can let her out of that prison. Lord, I pray for my brother who has built a wall around himself and will not allow someone to step in and challenge him to a higher place in you. I ask you, Father, humble him. Humble him. Give him your heart and your spirit. Heal him, Jesus. Heal him of the brokenness that life has brought upon him. And Father, if there's someone in this building today or someone hearing this message through some other means and they don't know you as Savior, I ask you, Lord, to give them the faith to believe that you died on the cross for every one of their sins. And that if they will just believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, they will be saved. May they believe that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I think you should take those notes spend some time with them. Amen. God bless you. We'll try to finish up next week, but you never know. (laughs) See you later. You're dismissed.